Hello and welcome to Cathedral Conversations about Race. My name is Michael Pereira. I am one of the hosts for this podcast. I'm joined by Kara Peterson. Hi, Kara. Hello. <laughs> and we are so happy to begin this incredibly important series with Vinu Kamanapali. Um, I I've known Vinu from my I think my earliest days at St. Mark's, but outside of really quick conversations, we never really sat down to take the time to get to know each other. And this com this podcast that we're working on now seemed like a really good time to certainly find out and get to know a little bit about Venu, but then also to get to some of the tougher questions that we as a cathedral community should be asking ourselves. And so no pressure from that, but I'm really happy to introduce <laughs> Vinu Kamanapali to Cathedral Conversations About Race. Vinu, thank you so much. Really, thank you so much for being willing to put yourself out there and being willing to be a part of this. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. It is so cool to be part of this and um, it's such an important conversation to be having. Um, and especially at St. Mark's, Mark's, which holds you know cultural clout in Seattle. So I'm, yeah, I'm just really happy that you guys are doing this and really honored to be a part of it. Thank you. There's obviously a lot to talk about, but for this conversation, I'd like to start at the beginning, which is how you came to St. Mark's, uh, how you found the church and what your earliest memories and experiences of the place were. So uh, how did you find St. Mark's? So it was really strange and very coincidental. Um, I came to the US in 2012 to do my psych degree. And um, my school had its first, I guess, uh, what was that, a convention? Not convention, <laughs> just to get together for the whole convocation. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, at St. Mark. So it was the first cathedral, first church I set foot in in the U.S., um, which was wild. And it was just beautiful. All of that, you know, it's very pretty and very impressive. But um, I did try out some other churches before kind of committing to St. Mark's or coming back to St. Mark's for um, an actual Sunday service. Um, and that was just a transitional time in my faith journey. I was kind of, you know, uh, in a more kind of evangelical school and it um, was kind of just changing for better or worse. My faith just changed. And, um, and so I needed a spiritual home that aligned with my values and just my transition into, uh, I guess, um, transition into a less, just a quieter faith, I think, uh, quieter internally, but also just doing, I, I felt like St. Mark's was doing a lot of things that I, I wanted to be involved in as well. So, um, yeah, so I went back to St. Mark's for a Sunday service. Um, I was super intimidated at first. <laughs> I'd never been a part of a liturgy, a part of a service where 
everything was it just felt like everything was choreographed <laughs> everyone <laughs> knew what they were doing um, I definitely did not know what I was doing so I was intimidated at first but there was just a um, just a sense of peace with the ritual and the liturgy um, and I think that just brought me back I love that I mean yeah honestly it can be so intimidating you, you go in, it is a, a massive space. You've got that beautiful rose window, first thing you see when you walk in. Then, of course, you've got the organ right behind you, which it can be terrifying. Um, if you're not familiar with that form of church architecture, that can really throw you off. What was it like navigating mm -hmm. those early days? I mean, everything was new to you, I imagine. Yeah, everything was really new to me. Um, and I think I was just very aware. Um, I just, I felt very different in this space, both because I didn't know what anyone was doing, but also, you know, I was new to the liturgy um, and it was just a very new kind of service. It was something I wanted, like, but I felt very out of place at first. Um, growing up in India, my, uh, church was just so different um christianity in the state that i'm from is a very much like a minority religion but in the whole of india but especially in my um state it's kind of considered a religion for outcasts and quite literally for untouchable castes so it was a drastic change i felt like <laughs> going from a church like that to St. Mark's was a drastic change, but the, you know, um, it was still familiar. Like the scripture is familiar, of course. Um, and there was a familiar lilt to okay, having readings at certain times, um, which I didn't necessarily find in some other churches that I had been to. Um, so that was lovely, but I definitely felt like, okay, I'm no longer in a uh, religious space or in a faith space that is like a minority religion, right? Like this, um, it felt like this is okay. This is a space for people of just a very different positionality um, in the U.S. Um, and so that was drastically different for me. And so I think it took me a while to um, kind of let that be and just focus on what was beneficial to me and what I was really gaining from. Like, it, oh man, I remember the first time I was, <laughs> I, I think I actually thought I, I might not come back, but someone gave me the, um, uh, the program. <laughs> and that really helped. <laughs> It's like I was feeling so lost until one of the ushers gave me that thing. And yeah, suddenly it was like, oh, great. Here's something that'll tell me what to do, um, which is lovely. Um, yeah. And I think some of my friends, I didn't know it when I first went there, but some of my friends were already at St. Mark's. So that was also really helpful because it just, Community is one of the biggest things that I look for in, mm. in my faith. And so it was crucial to have that as well. Um, what was the question? I think it's really interesting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what were you going to say? 
Was that the question, Michael? I mean, yeah, kind of. Just <laughs> there's walking into the nave, crossing that threshold, it puts a lot of things into perspective, as any church should do. And I think we're very lucky in that we have such a large church uh, to do that. So it absolutely did answer the question, yeah. Kara, I'm sorry, you were gonna say something. I was just going to say, it's so interesting to me that like Christianity for you started as like the religion that was actually truly for everybody um, to, um, walking into a space where, you know, even if St. Mark's has lo- long cast off this, you know, pervasive Anglican sense of, oh, we're English, so we're the best. Like that just, that seems like it would be such a, a huge shock going from like two very different ends of the spectrum, uh, I will say. And I I guess I'm I'm curious if you've given much thought to that or or if it's occurred I mean I don't know I (laughs) St. Mark's is the only Christianity I really know so I don't have any real sense otherwise so yeah yeah like there were so many different things that um stood out to me I guess so I I was in England before and you know they they also have I, I went to one of the Anglican churches there for a little bit. Um, and that was like, that was my first experience being part of a religion. Cause it just feels like a different religion in a way. Oh, Scriptures God. are the same, but, um, but that was my first experience being in a religious space where, um, you know, I, I was not part of a minority group. And that it, it's so strange because your whole life, <laughs> you are your religion is like completely unknown to your friends. Like I remember in college, I had to explain what Easter is, and um, the, and that's that was my normal, right? Like my friends didn't know about my faith, and that was totally okay. I didn't know too much about theirs, um, and it it was just. Um, a lot of explaining that I would do about what what's Christmas, what's Easter, what um, and all of that. But there's also just this assumption that anyone who is Christian is of um, one of the lower castes, and so that was something that I, yeah, it, it was just so different to be a part of a faith space where. Um, yeah, where that is not assumed of you, but you're actually a part of a more powerful group. Mm. Um, you know, and it's it's something that takes a lot of time adjusting to, and it comes out in really different ways. And you kind of hold yourself as a part of a minority, even, and so you have to also learn that, hey, no, actually, you, um, you right now, you are actually part of a group that holds privilege, and yeah. how you know, how to use that well, or how to be aware of that is, it's something I had to really um, adapt and, yeah, learn. <laughs> that is, that is mind-blowing. so fascinating to me all around. Wow. Th- thank you for sharing. I'm, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, yeah, we don't have to put this into the whatever. I just, I, oh I am so American and 
that's not I just I I, I realized I it had never occurred to me like I oh my goodness I'm so ashamed I'm sorry I'm like I'm having a slight like oh brain gosh. freeze because it's it's really interesting because like having to explain Easter to people who actually like full stop have never heard of it before is so because I've had to explain like what like what the resurrection is and what some of the Easter stuff is but like growing up in Seattle even though we're kind of non-religious like people still knew what Easter was like that's wow that is fascinating sorry I won't pause no, no, that's, <laughs> I'm, I mean, uh... wow I'm Oh, I need to read more. This is great. Okay. <laughs> no, you're so right. And it's it's weird just looking at it from my side too. Like it's, I didn't, I had also never experienced it where everyone knows this, you know, it's also a very mm. different space. So I also, again, had to learn. So absolutely no need to be ashamed, Gara, really. <laughs> oh, that, God, that that's is amazing. That's so fascinating. Ugh, I love talking to people. Okay. <laughs> And, and, and obviously, that's a perspective that we really need to be very aware of. And Binu, one of the things that absolutely blows my mind is this um, dichotomy between, in a way, a denominational minority and then being an mm. ethnic minority. Because, mm. I mean, uh, I, I can imagine, for example, when you went to that Anglican church in England, or honestly, even when you came here to St. Mark's, how it was such a difference to be in the majority and honestly even the privileged end of the religious scale but at the same time if you're in england or if you're in seattle washington i'm imagining there are not that many people who look like you to put it that bluntly mm. or even to have a name like Vinu kamanapali and what an interesting tension not, not that it was a tense mm-hmm. moment, but just mm-hmm. well, you've got these two differences that are in a way completely, maybe not completely, but they're in balance. The sense of, yes, I'm finally in a church with other people who know uh, what what Easter is, for example, but there's n- I'm the only South Asian person here. I'm the only non-white mm-hmm. person here. That's mm-hmm. got to be surreal in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is quite strange. Um, And I remember even at school in my psych training, I I think I might have been the only South Asian in the school as well. So I, um, yeah, I carried that with me to St. Mark's. And Michael went, went, someone told me that you are from Sri Lanka. And I was like, whoa, what? There's someone from South Asia here. Actually, I think they thought you were from India. I they told me you were from India, <laughs> and I talked. Okay, to you. that's a talking point right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yep, number one. We we knew it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually forget uh, how you and I first met. You know what that first connection was, but I mean, honestly, I hate to use this phrase, but I think it fits. People like us. We kind of stand out. Mm. So maybe it was just so much easier for me to go, oh, there's another Asian person there yeah. in this church of what is mostly white 
folks, which is, again, you know, the, it's absolutely the point of why we're here. And this is such an unexpected way of leading into this whole part of the conversation, which is, uh, I mean, the reason we're here, the reason we're here is that we all love St. Mark's. I think the reason we're here is that it has been an incredibly beneficial and fulfilling community for us. And we want to be a part of it and we want to give back. But the elephant in the room is that we stand out and there are not that many other people in the pews on a Sunday morning, you know, pre-pandemic, who look like us. And sometimes that can be weird. Sometimes that can be, it can lead to amazing conversations about where we come from, about what our differences are, about what brings us together. And we do want to hear those. Those are such an important part of our stories. But sometimes that difference can be very stark. And we would be doing ourselves and we would be doing the community a disservice if we didn't bring those out. If I mean, obviously, we'll be careful about them. And we want to make sure that this is not a podcast where we name and shame anyone or where we point any fingers. But if there is white privilege at St. Mark's, if there is systemic racism at St. Mark's, which there is, you cannot deny that. But if those problems exist, we have to make sure we're not covering them up. And we have to make sure that we're not downplaying them either. Most so, definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, you and I just talked about this. There's no, there's no easy way to to bring this up and maybe there shouldn't be, but how has that experience been for you? So, yeah, you know, systemic racism, it, it's not, it doesn't, no one has ownership over that, right? I, I am not immune to systemic racism. I don't think anyone is. Um, it, it's just, racism is very much alive and active in the South Asian communities as well. Um, and so it's something you know, that I, I really do think is important to talk about. Mm. And in St. Mark's, what my experience has been, um, you know, I think a, a lot of people, I, I think, I think this is what's happening. I think a lot of people in St. Mark's are learning about systemic racism and learning about privilege, um, learning about their position in, you know, in society and all of this. Um, and there's a wrestling that comes with that. And I, I think there's, there can be a lot of guilt that comes with learning about these things at first and a lot of just trying to find your place. Um, just trying to um, find your identity. Um, with race, identity is is something that we don't often choose, right? Like, I don't, I became a South Asian when I came to the U.S. I wasn't a South Asian when I was in India. You were a person. Yeah, as a person, I wasn't even Indian. I was Telugu, I was Dalit, you know, just so many different identities that some that wow. you choose, some that you don't. Yeah, and yeah. so when you are in a space as one of the only people of color, one of the only South Asians, um, that is an identity that is kind of put on you. And, you know, people will have their assumptions. And another thing people will have is, 
what I've noticed or what I've experienced is a need, I think, to figure out something, figure something out about race <laughs> and, and figure out what to do with some of the guilt that can come up, which I think mm. is very normal when you are learning or talking about and um, just working out your position in the world. And I've sadly been in some conversations where I felt like I was just kind of um, roped into a conversation that I didn't really ask for um, and roped into a conversation about race in a way that I was actually not in the conversation, but almost just like used as a sounding board. Right. And it was it was very surreal because I was, I was there, I was asked to, you know, participate kind of in that conversation. Uh, but I was also not there. And it was, it was just obvious that this person was just working something out. And, you know, I have been in that position before. So I have compassion for that. But I guess it is, um, it is something that happens both in St. Mark's and outside of St. Mark's for me. And it, it's hard when you are one of the only people of color around and you don't really know anyone. I remember this was way at the beginning when I didn't really know anyone at St. Mark's. So it was hard to know what to do or say. Um, and I also was just figuring myself out as well within the space of St. Mark's and also in Seattle. Um, and also I was learning about a lot about the history of racism in the U.S. So it was it was just a conversation that I didn't think I could participate in responsibly, um, and so I was, yeah, I was aware that it was it was something that this person was working out for themselves, or they just felt a need to express something, um, and I was there. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I think there there tends to be uh I mean with you know yes with everyone who's trying to work that out um but especially for for groups that have and you know ethnic groups or socioeconomic groups that have experienced far less of of that sort of having to work out some of the guilt or whatever end up projecting quite a bit I think and mm -hmm. or at least trying to find something they can grasp on to but not really understanding that like it's not always appropriate to do that you know and it and that a lot of the time unless one is openly invited and consents to it that having that sort of like oh we're all suffering aren't we <laughs> kind of conversation is it's not oh, it, gosh, it's not yeah. as you know door opening as it as maybe we were kind of or maybe as Americans were sort of taught growing up like everybody's here to we're all experiencing things and it's all the same even though that's not true at all right so that, yeah. ooh. <laughs> it, it, it strikes me Vinu you said that this conversation happened when you were still so early in your time at St. Mark's and you had just told us how intimidating the place can be. I mean, it's huge. There's this very uh, well-coordinated liturgy that if you're not familiar with, it can be 
almost overwhelming. And then layer by layer, you realize, wow, there's really nobody else here who looks like they're not from Seattle or who looks like they're not from America. And then, wow, you find yourself part of this conversation where you're there, but in a way it feels like people are speaking over you or past you, uh, perhaps making assumptions about your background, perhaps making assumptions about your presence or anything else. Oh, that can feel so disassociating in a way. And I think most, mm. most of the BIPOC people at the cathedral would have been in a similar position. I say that because in the episode where Kara and I interviewed each other, we did say, obviously, there there are good ways of having these conversations and there are bad ways of having these conversations. And one of the bad ways is just to pull somebody in uh, because they're a person of color and have this discussion going without any thought given to what that person might have to say or might not want to say. And if that happens at coffee hour or in a meeting or something, that's really a, not an ideal way of, as you said, a person working out whatever they want to work out. If they want to work it out, that's great for them, but not at the cost of putting somebody on the spot like that, um, especially when they're so new to the cathedral. That must have been, I don't want to say awful, but that just must have been such deeply uncomfortable in some ways uncomfortable was the word I thought too um, <laughs> yeah it was uncomfortable for sure um, I was grateful for a friend who I knew had been working on these issues like when she came by and I kind of felt a little rescued because she could take the weight of the conversation a little bit in a way that I just wasn't ready to. Um, so that was lovely. So yeah, I th think there are good ways to have this conversation. For example, this friend um, is a Caucasian and I think it was actually a good conversation for this person to have with someone who is also ca who is Caucasian because it was just, um, I, I don't know. It was just very different. It was a conversation that they needed to have with mm, yeah. um, someone different, <laughs> just someone who's who's not a person of color. It was just not an appropriate conversation to rope someone else into um, when they were in a different positionality or different place of privilege. So yeah, there are good ways of having these conversations and it's important to be doing that. Um, and it's just those subtleties of working out, okay, you know, what's a safe way to have this conversation? What do you think would be helpful for people to say or do to take this into consideration? I mean, how would, how would some of these conversations, which should, ha which, yeah, should happen, but how could these conversations happen in a way that's comfortable, safe, and equitable? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think maybe the starting point should be just to know that if you are feeling 
any kind of guilt, which is again, just such a normal part of this process of learning about um, race in the US or anywhere. Um, like if there's any feelings of guilt or hurt um, or just a wrestling that comes up, just know that it's okay. Like that's not, it's not a sin. <laughs> that's just a part of the process. And you're not terrible for feeling these feelings. <laughs> um, I guess I would just want every anyone who is struggling with those emotions to know that. Um, and then from there, like, I think just knowing that it's okay will help people not to feel the need to just fix it. Right. I think that's where this often comes from, this roping people of color into conversations that they never asked for. I think that's where it comes from, is that this need to absolve or kind of fix whatever's going on for them inside. Because it's uncomfortable, it's distressful. Um, and so often people want to just kind of go to the closest person of color and, you know, ask them to make it okay in different ways. <laughs> without asking for it. Um, so know that these feelings are okay and you are not a problem for having these feelings. And I think safe spaces to have these conversations may be with, um, maybe with, not necessarily traditionists, but maybe even part of the, um, you know, leadership at St. Mark's where, um, and, you know, maybe the leadership Saint Mar in St. Mark's can also invite these conversations privately or in groups um, where um, others who've gone ahead or before them can just kind of be with them, sit with them. And, and I'm really talking about people um, who are Caucasians here. I think oh, yeah. just having... Um, groups and other people to talk to who you're not necessarily um, to say you know at, at least putting in an awkward position or um, or or just contributing to some harm um, right so I um, yeah try not to just fix it try not to just quickly absolve <laughs> yourself because I think the feeling of guilt is Kind of makes us want to do that um and yeah i think maybe finding people uh, in leadership um, to have those conversations with could be really good and i think my my kind of tie and rope to the end of your point about you know not always having immediate fixes is that um part of this is literal almost behavioral and thinking changes and habits and like speech patterns or anything like that are not ever things that you can actually fix cold turkey as it was. And that not only don't try to find a fix, but there's not going to be a single fix ever. It's like, these are things mm -hmm. that we're, you know, that everyone's going to be learning as we coexist the rest of our lives. And, and in fact, trying to look for, you know, like I was racist once, but I talk with this person of color, it's okay. Like those sorts, <laughs> that's not a fix. 
that's you know that's a that's a token that's a prize you know and so I yeah I I really yeah I I appreciate that very much (laughs) so and I think this actually came up in the um Michael you were there as well this year right um the convention keep calling Uh, everything a convention do you mean diocesan convention yes i do mean that okay uh i think i remember what you're referring to but keep going and i'll 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 catch up on the memory um i I was just gonna say i think this year in the diocesan convention like this was a topic that was brought up so it to me signals that um Hopefully these conversations are happening in different cathedrals, different spaces. Um, that's my hope. And, you know, I, if not, I hope that they are happening at least mm-hmm. in St. Mark's and that they can be, um, there can be an invitation for that. Well, that's certainly our hope with this podcast. Um, St. Mark's has been doing a lot of good work with its own anti-racism training, taking up racial responsibility. And I'm very glad that that's being done and it's being led by the clergy. But there was a huge chasm, I think, in in some form of programming that was being done by the people of color at St. Mark's, because there are people of color at St. Mark's. And they do want to be involved. They do want uh, to step up and in whatever way, shape, or form, point out many of these things that you just told us about. And to create an infrastructure, to create a culture where these things, not that they don't happen because, Kara, like you just said, we'll always have this to a degree, but where the likelihood of uh, unpleasant, uncomfortable conversations reduces and even when they do happen, there's a pathway to addressing that, a creative, constructive pathway to addressing that. Um, and this podcast was born out of that. It was born out of questions of, well, what can we do, Kara and myself? We started talking about this. We have the podcast infrastructure that I did with uh, the original uh, Cathedral Conversations podcast. And looking to see how we could make that a part of this network of work, part of this tapestry to say, we do take this seriously as members of St. Mark's and as Episcopalians. Uh, so what can we put out there to to make this work happen, to, to tell the people who we worship with, who we serve with, and who we love as members of this community, here are our experiences, here are our stories, and when this community falls short, here's a way you can step up. Here's a way that you can do better. And so given that these can be uncomfortable conversations, and they will be, and given that, as you said, Vinu, there is usually a sense of guilt behind them, uh, to not shame that, but perhaps to honor it and say, yes, we understand. (laughs) We know what... We know where you're coming from, and we're not doing this to make you feel worse. Certainly not. We're not doing this to make you feel terrible. But we're doing this because we really do, as I said, we love this community. We love the people who are here. And 
we want to to turn that guilt into a genuine desire to know more, a genuine sense of curiosity even about Mm -hmm. how we can move away from those old thought patterns and those old behavioral patterns. Yeah. And I think one way of doing that, one of the many ways of doing that is to also talk about when things have been better. I mean, as, as uncomfortable as it can be uh, to be a person of color at the cathedral sometimes, it's not always the worst thing in the world. Uh, in the interview Kara and I had, we talked about experiences we've had where we honestly did feel seen and respected and valued because we are different, because we know we don't look like most of the other people there. Kara uh, shared the story of how um, people asked her about the proper way to use chopsticks. I told the story about how Maria Caldwell, Caldwell, yeah. I told the Caldwell. story. Caldwell. Oh God, that's Caldwell. exactly, I can hear it now. <laughs> I shared the story of how Maria Caldwell and I um, just uh, talked for literally three hours at a time about my background, about my place here, and about what that was like. Have there been? Have you had similar experiences where you felt seen like that? Yeah. Um, so my husband and I got married uh, in 2018 in St. Mark's, and my family was there. My parents came from India. Um, and my friends, Matt's friends were all there. Um, and maybe, you know, what what stood out and just like you were saying, Michael, is um, my husband is Jewish, I'm Telugu, and St. Mark's is St. Mark's, as <laughs> <people> put it. <laughs> and Jennifer was our officiant, officiant. and, um, you know, I think, she guided the whole process really well and she guided um, just all the different cultural components really well. Um, And it all worked, you know, there were a lot of different cultures there. Um, A lot of the people there probably don't know anything about Christianity. (laughs) So it was, it was lovely to have St. Mark's just hold all of these different cultural components and experiences together. Um, I think Jennifer did that really well. So yeah, that was one of those moments where I think I felt seen and held, like the different cultures were held well. That's beautiful. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, yeah, I, I have to get my thoughts in order here. One of the thoughts is that it's a wonderful synchronicity almost back to the days when some of the people in your world at the time didn't know much about Christianity. And so you had to explain things like Easter to them. And then here you are getting married and your family's there, your husband's family's there. Nobody, I mean, not much church going among them. And in a way that's kind of that experience again. What is this Christianity thing? Uh, But yet if we do it right, this Christianity thing can hold a lot, like you said. 
that's that's just amazing. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely to look back on that as well. Special moment. And it feels like curiosity and just respect is a part of all of our good experiences at St. Mark's as BIPOC people. I That's like it because, yeah, I, I, I think it is because one of the things you had mentioned in our pre-conversation a few weeks ago was when the white people try to have particular the white people. Yeah, I just realized <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> that I love it. Away. <laughs> so, yeah, but when they try to pull us aside and they, they have those those conversations, it's always on their own terms. Uh, mm-hmm. it's always mm-hmm. them setting the tone and and the pace and everything but when it comes when they want to talk to us or when for example hypothetically jennifer said asked you and your husband what would you like to have in the ceremony and it's coming from a genuine place of curiosity and respect and wanting to grow and learn more then the conversation is so much more on our terms. And obviously we're not abusing that and we're not saying we want this, 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 but it's, it's so much easier to grow from that rather than the other person saying whatever they may have said in the conversation that you had or that so many other BIPOC people have experienced. And so that the definite sense of being able to answer the questions on our own terms that I think is so deeply fundamentally important to just being there, certainly, but then also doing this work that as long as it's coming from a sincere place of wanting to know more and learn more, then we can, that, I mean, that's how you have a conversation. Otherwise, then it's just them talking at you and talking past you, yeah. but then them assuming that they've done the right thing, which is worse. Mm-hmm. Listening to a story does not make you woke. That. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> That's or not the ultimate goal either, hopefully, being woke. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, perfect. I wish there was a way we could put that in, but that's a different conversation entirely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's really important to mention, too, that in the same way people are learning what not to do, what not to say, how not to behave, uh, these are also really good stories. Uh, you know, Kara's story about the chopsticks and the kimonos, my story about talking to Maria or Vinu's story that we just heard. These are good examples of people who do want to share where they're coming from. They do want to share what they're bringing with them and how to positively engage in that so that both parties grow. It's not just one person talking past another and then assuming that they've checked that box but this is an ongoing evolving relationship. And if we can have little moments like that, a lot of those little moments will grow into something that's much larger. And I think that's how you change that culture. It won't happen overnight, sure, but this is how you start that process. And once we start it, it's not gonna go back. Oh, Vinu, thank you so much for uh, joining us for this podcast and sharing your stories with us. For me, it was fun since I hadn't really had a real chance to talk to you in person. Yeah. And now after this, after we all get vaccinated and stuff, new friend, yay! <laughs> what a great way to make a friend. I love it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 
And you know, especially given that it's been, as we're recording this, it's been a year since the cathedral has closed. It's been a long time since we've actually seen and spoken with each other. This has been, mm-hmm. in a strange way, a wonderful way to catch up. A strange way, a wonderful way to get to know each other. But this feels amazing to know that we are doing this work together. Um, I thank you so much for being a part of this, for for being willing to take that risk. We are so grateful to you, uh, to everybody who's listening, to everybody who's going to share their own stories, that this ball is rolling and it's not going to stop. So thank you for that, Vinay. Thank you both for having me. It was so lovely to be a part of this work, this really important work that you're doing.